Welcome back to Travolta. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering In a Valley of Violence. With special guest, Cole Bradley. Enjoy the episode. Everybody and welcome Hello. to Travolting. Welcome back, folks. Jeff, you got you're tan. What? I just rec. I you, folks at home, we have already recorded a podcast. This is our second recording today, and I'm just now noticing Janet. Jeff has got a tan. You got a tan. Well, thank you for notice. I uh, no, it was it's your neckline. I'm seeing. It's not this, a so. tan. It's a burn that uh, healed. Yeah. Can you lift up your sleeve? Oh there. no, your arms did not tan really yeah. at all. No, it's it's Your all neck. it was all me uh, all on Thursday when we were doing the thing that you and I were doing. Yeah. Um what thing were you and I doing? Uh we were filming a car crash of we some sort. Beach. We were on the no beach. Fun. On no. the beach making love. But no. Jeff and I are in but a no. couple. You know who else is tan? Ethan Hawke in this movie. Ethan Hawke is tan. Ethan Hawke is very tan in this movie. Very tan. Ethan Hawke is looking good in this movie. Oh, hello Cole. Hi. Oh yes. Hi. Hello, welcome back to Cole Bradley, coming back from the taking of Pelham 123. As of now, much. as of now, the current record holder for our longest episode. Yes, with a record of it's a two hours and 30 something minutes. The, the real question today, can he James Cameron himself? Can he beat his own record? No. Well, I, I don't think I can because the... the no, no movie is as good as the Taking of Pelham. <laughs> it's very hard, and to... no movie is as full dis- worth of discussion as the Taking of Pelham One, Two, Three. Yeah, that was two hours and thirty-two minutes. Yes, I don't think we'll. I don't. I don't think this will be I, that. I mean, also, to be fair, forty-five minutes of that was us talking about public transit in a different <laughs> city. We did talk about the CTA for like twenty yeah, to thirty minutes. That's true. We did. Are this is this week are we going to discuss various thoroughbred uh horses uh because that's transit of the time i don't know i'm going to call my mom she does know about horses <laughs> we i can get her on the show well, I, my mother is an ex-rancher i do want to discuss the 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 socio-cultural impact of priests going around to western towns and how that was handled <laughs> yes it's the, dr- the the stereotypical drunk irish priest yeah <laughs> Just gets beat the shit out of him this entire movie. Poor Burn Gorman. Poor Burn Gorman. Dude has a face that um, only well, mother could love. I don't even know if his like poor guy. <laughs> he's a, he's... I mean, no, no offense to Burn Gorman, an actor I quite like. Um, he does look like someone tried to clone Crispin Glover and gave up like seven <laughs> percent of the way <laughs> Yeah, a failed attempt. Yeah. Uh, but today we are covering In a Valley of Violence, a Western directed by T. West. T. West, who is known for, um, well, he most recently just had X come out. Um, it is it is Ty, by the way. Ty, is it Ty? Okay. It's Ty West, I believe. I, I made a judgment call right then and there. I was like, I'm going to 50-50 shot. I went with uh, I went with T. But this Ty. this was uh, Bloomhouse. This is a Bloomhouse yes. uh, Western. 
And yes, this is. They were coming off of a. I'm gonna do a little context corner if you don't mind, Joe. You're coming off a context corner. Well, I mean, I, I have I have a little Bloomhouse context here too. But yes. If yeah, well, go, let's go please. through the circle of Bloomhouse context. Well, so th- this movie comes off. Uh, so this was filmed a uh, Bloomhouse Productions, uh, and but what the sort of the conception of this movie as is told in the IMDb trivia section, the most fortified uh, facts realistic uh, in the world. Is uh, during the filming of The Purge, one of my favorite movies of all time. No, no, it's not. But anyway, could be, it could have been good. Could have been good. Decent premise. Um, anyway, um, Ethan Hawke and Jason Bloom are talking about that Bloomhouse should do a Western. And they're birthed the idea of In a Valley of Violence. Mm. Um, so Ty West, who I think at the time was mostly known for horror movies. Um, he had done the house of the devil, the sacrament. Um, uh, those are, those are his two big ones, but he also did the innkeepers and cabin fever two, which uh, has the great subtitles. Cabin fever two is a weird, like he takes his name off it. He studio interference, Michigan's gotcha. That one doesn't really count. Um, right. And so there's, there's ABCs of death, VHS, all that stuff, but mostly known for horror stuff. So this is Ty West. Um, just looking at it, really his first uh, run in a Western. Um, or just something that's not... But you can see the influence watching this movie that his Western background does bring into it. You mean his horror background? It's horror background, my apologies. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that's interesting about this movie, and we'll get into it, is it's like 20% a slasher film. Yes. Is, is kind of the interesting turn it takes. And the I would say the problem is that it does. I don't feel like it goes far enough in that direction. I would agree. Yes, it doesn't go far enough in the direction, or just pull back from that far enough. Like it doesn't. It doesn't pick a lane. And we'll get to that when we get into the plot. And uh, yeah, this the main character of this Ethan Hawke, which. I mean, is there context for Ethan Hawke at this point in time of his life? I mean, Ethan Hawke. He's he's in direct to video like. You know, I, I don't want to say direct to video jail, but this is like that weird stretch of his career where post sinister he kind of just starts doing a lot of um schlocky genre stuff yeah. and that it, doesn't really land. Ethan just has such a strange career. I wanna I wanna yes. dive into that because like any interview you read with him, he has a very specific like personality. He's always very much like talking about, he's like, you know, I'm just in it for the art. I'm here for the creative juices to get them flowing. And he's always like, you know, I'm not here for the the paycheck or for these like action movies. Not. And then like he always, every like five years, he finds himself in these, and like, some sort like, of like big yeah. uh, franchisee type. Yeah, role. He's doing a fucking Disney plus TV show yes. right now. Two years after saying I would never do a Marvel thing, he's in a Disney Plus TV show right now. <laughs> a Disney Plus, yeah, Marvel show. Has anyone been watching Moon Knight? No. In this no. group? No. <laughs> he's good in it. But um, it's funny because like, his, his whole conceit in the show is that his... And this was apparently an Ethan Hawke idea, is that he, in his slippers, he wears glass shards. So every step that he takes, he's like in pain as like punishment for his sins. So the whole show is just Ethan Hawke like slowly hobbling around like a penguin <laughs> walking up to people. I mean, just to like just to discuss the highs and lows of Ethan Hawke as a weird actor. Can I just run through everything he's done since First Reformed? Yes. The the movie that almost got him his fifth Oscar nomination? Yeah. 
Big. All right. Wow. He played Pat writing. Garrett in a the Billy kid. the Kid biopic that Vincent D'Onofrio wrote and directed. <laughs> uh, then he's in a really good, one of the rare cases of Bloomhouse trying to be like, a drama studio. Mm. He's in this really, really wonderful, like indie drama called Adopt a Highway that Logan Marshall. Oh, this Green. is directed by Logan Marshall. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, that movie's great. All right, this is going on the list right now. Yeah, then he's in a Heroes. Uh, then he's in a Corieta film. He's in the movie that uh, Hirokazu Corieta does with Catherine Deneuve and Juliette Binoche in Paris. Yes. Then he's in a Nicholas, uh, a very strange Nikola Tesla biopic. Yes. Then Jim. he's in a movie that the RZA directed that is unwatchable. And I think the RZA is <laughs> kind of a good director, but Cutthroat City is terrible. Then he's in uh, a batshit crazy Abel Ferrara film. Which has Cameos a very funny in an poster. Antoine Fuqua film. Then does another Bloomhouse horror movie. And then just had the Northmen come out. And then he's in Knives Out 2. And then he's in Knives Out 2. It's a very <laughs> like, you know... Not to draw like a hard um, line between, you know, the the junkier stuff and the artistic stuff, because certainly some of those movies are bad. Yes. Some of the auteur stuff he makes is bad and some of the junk he makes is good. But it is a really weird uh, ping ponging between yes. like, I will be in the guilty so I can run off to Rome and make this like skull fried COVID thriller with Abel Ferrara that is completely incomprehensible. I don't know if either of you two saw zeros and ones. I have not, but I've heard no. everything I've uh, heard about zeros and ones. That movie looks like a rotten egg. <laughs> and I mean that as a compliment. That movie looks like it's decaying in front of your what, very eyes. What is the plot of zeros and ones? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And you've seen this movie. <laughs> He plays a fucking like government agent who's hunting a terrorist who is who's his own brother. That that, that movie is just paranoid incomprehensibility. Mm. It's good. It's <laughs> really insane. good. It's really good. It, it's funny because like like you said, First Reformed is the movie that almost gets him another acting nom, and then he you would expect like the choices he makes afterwards or the things he get offered are not what you would expect coming off of that right. movie. Yeah. And now he's in like he's in a Disney Plus TV show, and that's yeah. not like necessarily a huge insult, but it is still like a very strange place for Ethan Hawke to wind up. Yeah, well, I mean, I I'm, I'll I'll say this just out loud, but like I don't think he's a bad actor. Oh no, he, Ethan Hawke is not a bad actor. I think his choice, the choices of the projects he makes, are questionable, as we've discussed. But I don't think in the in the I would like to Stuart turn around right now. What you're getting the dirtiest look ever from across the kitchen damn um, becca come on does becca hate ethan hawk no she loves ethan no hawk. she loves ethan hawk but okay. she adores ethan but hawk. i think to that credit like i don't think he's a bad actor i think he's made some questionable career choices as we've discussed but <laughs> cole's I mean, got I some think, words i think he needs to be cast well yeah and like this is this is on my mind because i i just watched in a valley of violence mm -hmm. which you know is a western it's set vaguely shortly after the end of the civil war yes and i also just saw the northman yes and i had the same thought in both those movies which is that ethan hawk has a face that knows what a latte is <laughs> i don't buy him <laughs> as a cowboy ethan hawk is not a cowboy ethan hawk is not a viking king 
After you say that, I think that really just yeah, makes that, a lot that, of sense. That takes the Ethan Hawke can play shitty ex-boyfriends. He can play and a things priest. that are within two degrees of separation from a shitty ex-boyfriend. He's very good at doing that one thing. He's good at shitty ex-boyfriend. He's good at, and then the next level is shitty dad. Shitty dad, which is a, it's the same beast. Yeah. Which is. Which is why the first purge kind of works because he's just playing a shitty dad in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's that's interesting. The face that a, that knows what a latte is. That I think we gotta we gotta ping that one. Yeah, we got. We're, oh, he was good in Valerian too. Valerian. I mean, that's because they know what space lattes. <laughs> he also fuck. I forgot. This isn't even the only Western he makes in 2016. Magnificent he's in Seven. Magnificent Seven. He's in the Magnificent Seven, which a movie I guess that no one has seen. Which I guess, like, what did Magnificent Seven come out before, uh, but filmed after, or did it come after and filmed before? There was some weird like thing where it's like he did in, in Valley of Violence, that did Magnificent Seven. But Magnificent Seven came out first, then into Valley of Violence, or am I having that backwards? Something like that. I I don't know when they shot, but they came out a month apart. Yeah, but the Magnificent Seven, um, you know, gets a wide release, and this does not because this is. It's the thing I want to say about Bloomhouse is that this is a like a real the real dead zone for Bloomhouse. Yeah. Yes, um, because Paranormal Activity ends, which is really the the machine that is fueling Bloomhouse. Right. Is that they've got this franchise that's like a guaranteed money maker. They've kind of worked out a, a system of pumping out profit by making movies very cheaply that are very scary. But they've kind of run paranormal and insidious into the ground. Yes. Let's say they- they've also just gotten an Oscar nomination because Bloomhouse makes right? Whiplash. So theoretically, you'd think they're in a position where they kind of need to evolve. Yes. And instead, <laughs> they, do they just spend three years pumping out movies that nobody sees except for the Purge sequels. Because they're trying... Which are not paranormal activity level things. I like some of these movies. Uh, Ouija 2 is a masterpiece. But they're basically just in like a two-year window of treading water until they stumble into making Get Out. Mm-hmm. And then they're back in the game. It's because like they try and break away from like their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, Whiplash like almost fell into their laps as like it kind of mm-hmm. just works for them. And then Get Out only brings them back because they're like, oh, we're making a horror movie. And Jordan to Peele, be fair, yes, they also have Split right before Get Out. Like they yeah, okay. they really yeah. do stumble and fall into like these two auteur driven like mega hits. Yeah. And it, it kind of comes out of them just being like, oh, look, M. Night wants to make a horror movie or Jordan Peele wants to make a horror movie. Horror movies work for us. Let's make these things happen. And so they, yeah. they make them happen and they turn into great movies. It feel, it does, Both those do kind of feel accidental. Yes. Like, I would say especially th- Split, too. Because mm-hmm. Split, yes. I feel like, uh, you know, Shyamalan putting your eggs into that basket and that movie almost on paper had no right to be as good as it was but i think that movie was very performance driven and hence being like you know the success that it was and yeah to bloom if 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 you look at like like i feel like the only real like artist that they're developing during this like wasteland period is mike flanagan 
Yes. And Mike Flanagan does go on to like become a zeitgeisty filmmaker Mm -hmm. when he switches studios and goes to Netflix and starts working at miniseries. Yes. Yeah. Um, There is a quirk of fate where Mike Flanagan hits when he's under Blumhouse. It's not anything that Jason Bloom is necessarily doing. Yeah. For all that he's kind of like, you know, held up as this like genius producer, he is really a throw shit at the wall, see what sticks. And he just throws Reap all... the benefits and get the Oscar nomination. And the fact that it's cheap, he throws a lot of shit at the wall. Exactly. Just a by... lot of shit. And just by the nature of having a target and throwing a lot of shit, some of it hits. Yeah. So. Because, like, Mike Flanagan, like, to just quickly wrap him up, you know, before we drive back into Ty West, um, is, like, him getting put on a Ouija sequel. It's not what you would inherently think of as, like, you know, a great moment for him to break out it's the fact that he makes a good movie out of a ouija sequel yeah that they're like it's also that they like i mean to their credit that they get out of his way yeah and let him do it and let him just make a mike flanagan ask mike flanagan movie because ouija 2 is very much a mike flanagan ask Mm -hmm. mike flanagan movie it is about sad parents who are (laughs) bad at raising their kids (laughs) and sad kids who are disconnected from their parents and use a ouija Uh, well, has anyone been keeping up with his like Netflix miniseries with Hill my, House? My Blind entire Manor family has. <laughs> well, like, those shows are hits. They, I would say like Hill House was the peak. Blind oh, no, Manor, no, 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 do not, no. If Midnight, Midnight Mass, if Midnight Mass was a movie, it would have been my favorite movie of last year. But it's not a movie. You know, I Midnight Mass is the best Stephen King adaptation that is not a Stephen King book. I still see people being horny on the internet for Hamish Linklater's character yes. in Midnight Mass. I have not seen Midnight Mass. Um, Midnight Mass is so good. I didn't think it was better than Hill House, though. Here's the thing. You're wrong. Um, anyway. No, I don't, I don't think I am wrong about this one, though, Jeff. Isn't Midnight Mass just Salem's Lot? Basically. It's, it's basically Salem's Lot, but what if all the characters were even more sad? Love it. It's like Salem. I mean, I like his Kings. I would love to see Flanagan make another King. I'm the Dr. Sleep defender. Dr. Sleep is great. Dr. Sleep's a fucking masterpiece. Dr. Sleep is maybe better than the shining. I'm staying out of this. I would almost say it's as good as I am. I am muting my mic and (laughs) (laughs) that was me leaving this. All right, Jeff. uh, Now that Stuart's gone, what do you want to talk about? All right, uh, so Salem's Lot. <laughs> Salem's Lot. No, Good book. But no, Midnight, what I am looking at, what is like his, the main character's uh, girlfriend's name in Salem's Lot? What is? Oh, I haven't read Salem's Lot in like five years. It's Okay, Susan, her name's... Uh, Midnight Mass is Salem's Lot, but what if uh, halfway through Susan just became the main character and didn't wander into a vampire's basement? No, that sounds great. That I will is, probably watch it at some point. It is, it is well worth uh, it. But no. Anyway, Ty West. So yeah, Ty West. He's. Are he, you two at all familiar with Ty West? I have not seen another Ty West movie. Mm-hmm. I am aware no. of him, but I haven't seen X or. Um, I've seen the ABCs of Death, and I've seen VHS, but I didn't <laughs> see them for the Ty West aspect of it. <laughs> I watched his, his ABCs of Death short rules, uh, because um, for for the reference, if people haven't seen it, um. 
ABCs of Death is an anthology horror film. It is literally 26 shorts. Mm. It is very long. It is very exhausting. Um, and the production. All, I would say they're all ways to die, starting with yeah. the letter. So they're like, all really brutal horror shorts. But the production of that movie was literally they gave every filmmaker, I think, $5,000, $10,000. And were like, you can spend more if you want. But just do whatever. Yeah. Um, and Ty West short is literally two shots, one actor, all natural light, 90 seconds long, mm. uh, one joke. It's clear he just pocketed the money and, <laughs> right. and, and laughed all the way to the bank. <laughs> well, like, which one did Ty West do? For he ABC did the one two? that is just, it is a woman plunging an unclogged toilet. And then she flushes and she walks away from the toilet and we see remnants of blood in the toilet. And it's like, oh, she miscarried into the toilet. Mm -hmm. And this is her just finishing up the job. Is it the it's a cute joke. Is it the ABCs of death is the one where like the boy opens a box and sees something and he stops eating. Was that also an ABCs of death? Or is that a different one? That might be in a different horror anthology, but that one freaked me out. The ABCs of Death is mostly gross. Yeah, it's not scary. It's, it's not very scary. unpleasant. It's just, it's just gory. <laughs> unpleasant to it, watch. It's it's very like torture porn saw esque thing. It's yeah. not made for like horror stuff. Mm. So I think that box one is not accurate then because that one was more horror aspect. Yeah. All right, let's talk about In a Valley of Violence. Yeah, let's but get, Ty West as a filmmaker is yeah. is like the slow core horror guy. Because like he, his his movies are mostly about nothing happening for long stretches of a time. He, uh, he kind of comes out of the Swanbergy world, right? He's Swanberg adjacent. He's, okay. he, he starts way earlier. Like he starts okay. earlier than people think he does. Um, his first few movies aren't very good. House of the Devil is a masterpiece. Um, House of the Devil is extraordinary. It's incredibly scary. It's beautiful. Uh, Greta Gerwig's in it. <laughs> um, it rules. I think that uh, I think if we're talking about where he comes from, like the fa- saying the words Greta Gerwig, isn't it kind of explains? Yeah, where it's, he's it is from. all that same scene. Um, he's in Your Next with Joe Swanberg. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but his thing really is nothing happens. And then everything happens really quickly at the end, like real slow burn character studies erupting into psychotic violence and uh, gore, Um, which is why it's very fitting that he basically the sacrament is basically just Jonestown Mm. um, set in the modern day. Like like that, that's kind of the flow he likes, which should really work for a spaghetti western pastiche yes because that's how spaghetti westerns are and then they're all low rolling build up and then the problem with this is there is no character there is no character to study yeah so i I picked this movie because i like ty west but also because i remember really liking it when it came out yes uh i rewatched it this morning and i does not it's hold just, I don't think there's anything there. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm sorry I don't have a hotter take no, I coming think, in, but I think this movie is kind of a nothing burger. I do say that like I appreciated John Travolta's use in this movie. This is, I think, I, the best use we've had of Travolta yes. since 2010, maybe. 
I think Travolta's incredible. In He's very I good. Agree. I agree. I think it's a great performance. I think so too. Like, and we, so next week we're going to talk about, um, I am wrath. I am wrath. Uh, now I'd already watched that movie, but we're, we haven't recorded the episode yet. But one thing that something that is very similar. So in I am wrath, Christopher Maloney, detective Elliot Stabler himself. Yeah, right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen an episode of this for you. Neither has Jeff, Maloney. but I know you probably still like Christopher Maloney. I just love Christopher Maloney. Yes. He's one of my favorite characters. He's actors. like Jeff. I Jeff. I, I gotta know. Like he he plays the general in Man of Steel, and he may only have like five minutes of screen time, but mm, Daddy got a rod. Anyway, so like in I Am Wrath, I feel like Christopher Maloney and John Travolta. If you just switched their placement of characters, where Christopher Maloney was the main character and John Travolta comes in as like the last minute special ops buddy then that movie works a little bit better. Mm. And that's why I think in a Valley of violence does correctly where John Travolta is not the hero cowboy. And Ethan Hawke is the corrupt marshal. They switch it. And it's actually John Travolta gets like, you know, 20 minutes of screen time. Yeah, like, what? In this we, whole movie? we kind of throw Ethan Hawke to the wolves, but we give Travolta the correct role. Yes. yes. Well, I think that the more interesting thing about this movie is that it's not that switch. It's that Travolta is not, really the antagonist of this mm -hmm. movie. no he's not and he's the end that ranson is the antagonist of this movie which is so i'm not very well versed in the red box era of john travolta um well you're talking to the right two guys so i know that's what my my understanding though is that he's not a bruce willis type where he's first build and all over the poster, but he's only in the movie for five minutes. Like my understanding is that if you he's watch, in these movies, well, he's actually the lead of these movies. Usually it's a mix because we, okay. we did just cover a movie called criminal activities. And that's a movie that where the protagonist is played by Michael Pitt, Michael Pitt <laughs> and Dan Stevens is like a shared protagonist, but mostly Michael Pitt. I have some good Michael Pitt gossip that I'll share off mic, by the way. Okay, I'll cool. take it. Uh, and John, but John Travolta is front and center of the poster, build. And not, I don't know if he's top build. He, it's like one, it's like one of those things where it's the three billings, and he's like in the center. In the center, yeah. But he's like, but not. I, and John Travolta isn't really the antagonist of or protagonist of that movie either. He's almost very similar to this Marshall character, only he plays a different role. He's like a, a mob boss who comes in. He's a catalyst. He's like pretty much part of the inciting incident or I don't know. What would you call it? Like Travolta's whole role in that movie is, is for the like the twist ending for him to just at the end. Be, he's he's the mob boss. He's, he's the, the mob, mob boss. boss. Yeah. That's but he's not the antagonist. He's not the protagonist. He's not like a, a, key, a super key essential part of the movie. He's just kind of there. And I feel like that is a movie where, like, you pay him $1 million a day for three days, you film all of his scenes, and he's done. Much like a Bruce Willis-esque performance. But then we get movies like this, Because if, if, if we run his run since Taken of Pelham, essentially, because that's, like, the last real movie he does, it's, like, it's our Savage's questionable mm -hmm. but it's like from paris with love it is savages Sa Sa a real movie savages <laughs> is questionable it's questionable um from paris with love he is he's, he's split bill like he's passing off to the new era of action stars and savages and yeah. jonathan rise myers um who is like a plank of wood um so from paris with love like he's in that movie savages he is a support key supporting character but he's like He's present throughout. 
Killing season, he's in it. He's like front and center. He's front and center with as the heavy. He's the heavy in that. Yeah, in a movie which like stars two people and an elk. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) and then we get the forger, the forger, which he's in. He's the protagonist. Uh, Life on the line, protagonist. He's he's in criminal Criminal activities. activities, He's 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 there as a favor to Jackie Earl. Yeah, Um, Earl Haley. In a valley of violence, he's supporting, and it feels like the first time we've seen a correct use of him as supporting. Yes, I would agree. I w- I do like him in Savages. I will slightly retract the uh, yeah, That's a I good do. use I, of Yeah, him. yeah. We, we've established that in our Savages episode that he is actually used very well in Savages. Anytime he's willing to not be the lead or the big bad guy and just kind of lets himself plug in as a character role, it works. Yeah. Can I just make a slight objection? Yeah, sure. No one is used well in Savages. Travolta's well, kind of used well. Get that out no, there. no. I honestly, I think there's a point to be made that Travolta's Stuart. the only thing that's used no. well in Savages. No, hey, Stuart. I really do. What? He gave me orgasms. 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 The only person who even remotely exits Savages with like a shred of dignity is Blake. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's true. Did she walk away with it? With a shred. A shred. It's just because she's Blake Lively. <laughs> and it works. I don't know. I, I, I hold personally, I think John Travolta was actually kind of used He's... well in Savages. Cole, when was the last time you saw Savages? Oh god, years ago. <laughs> because like he's essentially like in that movie just playing the shitty FBI guy from Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, <laughs> he spends the whole movie just popping up in the scenes and being like, "What's going on? Why don't you guys just leave me alone? We'll make a good money on this hustle." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but one key differentiation I do want to say from Bruce Willis and John Travolta throughout this period is, I never feel like Travolta is not trying. He is. He is always trying, and his tries are miscalculated most of the time. Yeah. He miscalculates what the audience wants from him, and he's miscalculating what he can best deliver. Right. Uh, which is, I think, I think this is a really good calculation because yes. he's playing this sheriff as like kind of such an ineffectual loser, <laughs> yes. in a way that you don't it is very like nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, especially compared to what James Ransom's doing in this movie, like. <laughs> Travolta's kind of just playing a, a sad sack who maybe at one point mattered, but now kind of just sits back and lets everyone rough run ramshot all over him, yeah. which is such a weird thing for him to be doing at this point of his career. But it's absolutely to, the correct. Like yeah. I think so. Yeah. It, it is the most interesting thing about this movie, I think. Because you, what you you see the 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 archetype of like Lone drifter run rides into town. The the sheriff is up to some business, and they they butt heads. Like you see that all the time, but you never see it as like the sheriff is just a loser. Yeah, and it feels reflective of where Travolta's at right now. Yeah, going into it because like his like his character in this movie, as Cole was saying, like he's a loser. He like used to be something, and now he's coming to town and still acting like he's a big shot. But no one cares, and it ends with him being shot to death between two people who matter. But he's he's also not the one calling the shots in yeah. the town. And he keeps trying to, and no one listens to him. Yeah. Half this movie is thrilled to telling people to do things and them not doing them. Right. Which I think we run into some problems at at the end, where it goes a little too long. But 
I love I love the voice he's doing too. Yes. Like I think he's leaning into the fact that he has like kind of a squeal mm-hmm. naturally, but he also has like a half slur that like reads almost like this guy's been hit in the head too many yeah. times mm-hmm. and he can't fully get words out. Uh combined with the fact that he's missing the leg. Yeah. Uh his hair is like completely fried. Um He's literally th- falling he just apart. he looks like a ghost of a movie star. This may be one of the only movies where I think the wig does kind of work for him a little bit. It's a good wig. It's a good wig. It's a good. really good wig. It's a good wig in the sense that it's a bad like it's supposed to look like bad hair. Yeah. And he also wears a hat in this movie most of the time as well. I mean, there's always, you know, you got to add that to the context too. But I do think, yeah, with that fried look, he, it does kind of pull off a little bit in this. So I don't know if that if that's the trigger warning to go to the hair ranking right away. I, I think we have to. Yeah, I, I think we, we have to. Yeah. All right, cue the hair ranking music. Welcome to Denton, the home of the hair ranking Western hair. <laughs> hair. Uh, so, like, you know, once upon a time in urban cowboy land, we ranked John Travolta's hair, and it was hard because he is always wearing a hat, and the hat, I feel like, blocks a lot of the hair that we see. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, like, he's got good facial hair just, uh, features that I feel like should be... A, accessorize the hair very well i feel like story-wise it also progresses the hair in a nice way um the hair is like it's floofed out just a little bit and it's got strands of gray and white like i really do feel like this like as you were saying before cole like this it's supposed to show that he was once a big shot and no longer is but still puts on the image that he's still a big shot so with all those elements combined and again the the cowboy hat's probably going to take the points down by like just a notch but just a notch not too much, but just a notch. I think an advantage to this wig is that we don't see the hairline. Yeah, because yeah. Because we, we run into a problem where it's a straight line in a lot of these movies where it gets really sketchy. I just don't know what these can hair I, artists are doing. Can I just throw in a subtle thing I really like yes. about the design here? Yeah. Um, he's he's rocking the, like, I think kind of traditional Western idea of, like, the sideburns and the goatee. Mm-hmm. but he's let his beard grow out so much. His goatee grew out to this like scraggly, like misshapen mess yeah. that it's kind of weird that he's not just connecting into a full beard. <laughs> it's like half there. Yeah. Like, like almost like bit. he literally can't like grow into a full beard, which I think is just, especially compared to how mannered ransoms like mustache and goatee is. Um, it just really like emphasizes the way that this guy has gone to see yeah. yeah, and isn't isn't a gunslinger. So I have a spot for him um, and it's going to go fairly, fairly high up on the list. Ooh. I, I think I want to put him above Lonely Hearts below Mad City. Above Lonely Hearts below Mad City. Yeah. If, they, if, if the hat came off two more times in the movie. Like if there were two more scenes where he took the hat off, I would put it above. Mad I will. I will say that both Mad City and uh, Lonely Hearts, he has the same hairstyle in. So roughly, like you're just saying, it's like equivalent to that. Basically. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Because that's the period where he has his like his look, and he sticks with it for like seven straight movies. Well, Mad City, he has a little bit of a more bush tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
which where he takes all the kids hostage and then realizes he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, good movie, Mad City. Mad City as a uh, what, what's his name said? Who the Dustin f- Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman said Mad Shitty. Um, okay, still so, better than this movie. Still better. I think Mad City's better than this movie. I'd say roughly about the same. I like this movie about as much as Mad City. They're both movies where nothing happens, but they both have redeemable qualities. This one being that I think Travolta is rather well used for the first time in a few years. I mean, Travolta is used really well in Mad City. Mad shit, Mad. I keep on saying Mad Shitty after I say that joke. Mad City works because it's like, what if Dog Day Afternoon, but shit, but like low quality. <laughs> what if VHS? What if direct to video version of Dog Day Afternoon? I just love. I think I may have even said it on the perform uh, on the episode itself that I actually do like John Travolta's performance in that. Movie. He's good. I. Folks can go back to that episode and call me out on it if I am contradicting myself. But I believe I mentioned that I, I know I'm looking at you, Cole, because I know Cole will do it. I, well, Cole <laughs> did actually have a an audio file queued up for our Mad City episode. That's true. Um, for our it last, didn't of, it didn't, it didn't make up. the cut. But yeah, I was not caught with my pants down, Cole. <laughs> Better than that, you got close. Got close. He was ready to launch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do we want to speed through the plot just so we can talk about it? Yeah, I mean, like, we, it's a fairly straightforward plot, so I don't think it's going to take us long to... No, because uh, here's here's my plot device, Here's my plot uh, example. Um, insert any Western revenge story here. Yes. Doom. All right, plot's over. Well, Great. But, but not just any Western revenge stories. The, there's the other thing we haven't talked about about this movie. Is it the far? This movie is very clearly Jason Bloom being mad that he didn't get John Wick. <laughs> this is yeah. such a blatant Wick knockoff. Yes. Here's the thing. Down down to, I'm sorry, as much as we like Travolta, the exact same dynamic and with, as John um, Wick, where the, the the crime boss father is mostly just an affable loser yeah. who has a nightmare son <laughs> who's who's actually the real like menace to the point where almost the dialogue is verbatim the same where the crime boss and John Wick's like he killed a man with a fucking pencil versus John Travolta being like you were once a civil war soldier who killed a bunch of native Americans or whatever. Like it's the same sort of comparison of like that both John Travolta and the crime boss and John Wick know the protagonist that they're dealing with and are warning their sons of the consequences of messing with such character. But I think the real distinction between the two, and I think the the real reason I think this movie doesn't work, is that like I mean the thing that's great about John Wick is that it takes place in such this beautiful, imaginative, strange world. Yes. Yes. Where the the you know, the thriller aspects are just really an excuse to delve into this borderline science fiction, you know, continental world. Yes. Universe of obscure politics and rules and iconography and fashion and this move what is this fucking town there are at the end of this movie when like it's trying to do this dramatic like you know, our hero walks off into the sunset and we pan over all like the destruction that's been left kind of like the high noon ending. All of a sudden we see all these people like rushing out of the buildings. (laughs) It's like, where were they before? Where the fuck were they? I swear to God, you see seven people in this movie. Yes. Not counting Ethan Hawke. Okay. So when I was watching this movie, I kept being like, 
This is like four square blocks of Western town. When it's the same Western but, set. Wait, no, don't, don't, in- don't, 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 don't say it, don't say it. I'm, I'm getting to it. Oh shit! So like this whole I'm like this is just this is like so strange. What is happening here? It's just like four blocks and nothing. And the movie I kept thinking of was Thor, where like it's like <laughs> the four or six square blocks. Yeah. And then I fucking look. It's the same town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same fucking set. <laughs> like Ethan Hawke rides into this town, and I get that it's supposed to be a ghost town. Yeah. And I get that there's like lines of dialogue that say that like everyone's up and left. And this is just who's remaining. Yeah. But I swear to God, we see a barkeep, <laughs> a guy running a general store. With no customers. Two women who run a hotel, a sheriff, the sheriff's son, and three flunkies. And that is all the people <laughs> we see living in this town until a bunch of extras show up for the last yes. shot. You don't even and I'm see sitting here horses. And I'm like, yeah, we see so many horses, but like... No, I'm saying like there are no horses in this well, town. There's the one. There's the there's. Isn't there that one shot? I barely can even remember the shot. But there, there's the there's like the barn full of horses at the one point. At right? the very I end, thought it just had one horse. At the very horse. end, did he just have Ethan? Well, presumably, horse? they put all the horses in the barn and then forgot about them, and everyone left <laughs> the town. I remember there being. It's so. It's such a muddy shot. This movie does not look good either, which is the problem. Mm. Yeah, it's got a nice fluidity to it, but like. I can't buy this movie seriously because this feels like such like a, a set, a sketch of a Western where there's no, why is anyone living in this place? Yes. Like what, what is the dynamics that are ostensibly the thrust of like the spaghetti Western is this idea of the outsider disrupting the community, um, a community, even if it's a bad community, but there's no which community. Often here. Is. There is no community here. And like, you get they keep being like it's the valley of violence. This town's run by sinners, and you get there and it's like, yeah, there's like a shitty sheriff it's run by <laughs> four sinners. It's like there's a shitty sheriff, um, but the marshal seems pretty okay. I don't know what else is going on here. Yeah, uh, I mean, we get that like that one quick it's uh, like. Oh shit, you froze. Oh, uh, no, I, sorry, I think we talked over each other. Yeah, go again, Cole. You froze over a little bit. Oh, I was just gonna say we don't even get the sense that like. James Ranson's reign of terror is affecting anybody else yeah. because the only person we see outside of his inner circle is Taisa Farmiga's character and he barely interacts with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so the like, like there's, there's, there's a potential for juice vis-a-vis. Yes. It's a revenge story, but also Ethan Hawke is, you know, achieving some sort of justice and there's also a potential for juice for it's just a revenge story ethan hawk does not even care about the fact that he's impacting this yeah broader society for good or for ill but when you're left with this like only the characters who have speaking parts get to exist within the diegesis of the frame then it just doesn't feel like it ever matters yes because, like, th- when James Ransone's introduces, like, you know, that you said the reign of terror that he has on this town. And in the movie, the worst thing you see him do prior to, like, getting punched by Ethan Hawke is he, like, insults a traveling salesman. He doesn't even, like, hurt the guy or steal any of his stuff. He just says, your guns are trash. Get out of my town. And the guy leaves. So I, I did this completely by accident. 
I, I realized this morning that I, I probably fucked up and should not have done this. But last night I watched The Quick and the Dead. I am very uh, sorry. Which is also like a revisionist um, spaghetti western. And that is just a movie that is so full of life and energy and really has that like almost John Wick juice of like you're peering into this strange, bizarre world. Yeah. Then I come here and I watch this and I'm just left with nothing but some character actors I mostly like. Yeah. Not having anyone to bounce off of. Because I, th- I what think. What do you guys Oh, keep going. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I think that's a good segue into like what the very beginning of this movie is, is like where Ethan Hawke's just like a drifter and he's traveling around. He runs into Burn Gorman playing a traveling priest. And Gorman's whole bit is like, I'm trying to make it to this town because I'm going to bring salvation to it um, because it's a town full of sinners. And he just like he goes on about how terrible this town is and how it needs um, a redeemer to come and save it. And what the movie I, I suppose is trying to do is like change that character from Gorman to Hawk as like the redeemer. And then it kind of just says that and never does anything with it. Right. No. Yeah, no, I think and it also like brings up this idea that like maybe burn Gorman's character is just a grifter. Yeah. But it just says that. Now I will say, beautiful zoom yes at the very beginning yeah and i do think even though i think this movie kind of looks muddy and all the colors are kind of bland and washed Mm -hmm. out and the the environments are kind of boring uh like ty west does bring his like very textbook gliding camera you know floating through spaces in a way that i think looks really nice and blends with the action really nice like he understands how to juxtapose motion of on-screen bodies and motion of camera. The camera's doing a lot of really nice work in this. The lighting and post work is not. It it looks so ugly. Like at the beginning I was like is it trying to like capture the look of like an old camera? Like when you saw those like Civil War old photos and then I was just like no that this this is not an attempt to do that. This just looks like you know dirt. It looks like dirt. Yeah, I don't mean that like in the. I mean that in the insult, but also it physically looks. Every frame looks like there is a like a veil of dirt in front of the camera. I mean, this is this is a work for hire job from a guy who normally develops his own projects, mm-hmm. and I think you can see that in something like you know, regardless of what people think about X, you know, I think X looks like undeniably beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh just just beautiful like murky blacks and you know just it just looks really good i haven't seen it in a while because we recorded so late but um we're supposed to record this like right after x came out yes (laughs) now we're recording it right after the northman came out (laughs) so we went from the ty west context to the uh the ethan hawk context yeah i will find you fjolnir or however you say it i've not seen the northman yet but he, he will kill fjolnir um, and he will avenge Mjolnir, and he will, I don't know, Markarth, some shit like that. Um, Skyrim, good game. <laughs> mm, Skyrim, very good game. <laughs> Hamlet, good play. <laughs> we will leave it at that. So, so Priest. Yeah, it's Ethan Hawke's playing Paul. Um, and I, I think at the beginning they're like, Paul, he's Paul, and he's coming across... 
A guy in need of help on a road. Do they say his name until the end, though? I can't remember. At the beginning. It's like the middle, because he, he's about to leave the town. Yeah, he, that's right. That's what I meant. Taisa Farmiga asks him his name, and he says Paul. Which, that's another thing about, we talked about how nothing happens in this movie. The inciting incident really isn't until the midpoint. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, because like when we'll just jump to the midpoint of the movie, I mean, like, you know, he beats up the priest, steals, not steals, but he gets some of his stuff and then goes and he robs him. Well, like he makes a point of it, right? He's like, you, you you can either have your life or I can take some water and bullets or. Yeah, whatever. that is a robbery, Stuart. <laughs> 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 that is the definition of armed robbery. Stuart's like, I don't know if it's a robbery, but he does take his stuff and hold him at gunpoint. <laughs> okay but uh which is another thing that like this is maybe keying up a slightly more interesting movie that you know he's introduced you know sticking up a person who also sucks yeah is there something there probably does this movie care you, no you get the vibe from the choices made in this scene and like naming the character paul um and having him be a, like a traveler to a to a land of sin, you get the vibe that like what the movie's trying to do is, it's like you know there's the false priest and then there's the real priest who's just the guy who brings justice to this town, and I'm sure that the guy who wrote the script, um, oh T T Ty West wrote the script. <laughs> Uh, you get the vibe that, like, at some point, he's probably like, "Oh yeah, this will be a great element in the movie," and then he just kind of like forgets to do much more with that. Yeah, because you know he robs the priest, um, Burn Gorman, and then he um, he uh, steals his water and goes into the town of Denton and shackles up his horse, tries to go into a general store, can't get in, so he goes into a bar, and that's where we're introduced to the Ransone character. Um, yeah. Where do you guys fall on James Ransom? I think he can be very good. I generally really like him. Mm-hmm. I uh, don't like him in this. This is not this does not play to his strengths. I think this is a very grating performance, and I think he's mostly just doing Ziggy Sabatka with all the edges sanded off. Mm. Oh, he's Eddie Kasbrack in It Chapter Two. Yes, I think yes, he, he is, is excellent in It Chapter Two. He's the pimp in Tangerine. Uh, he's, the, he's literally officer so and so and sinister. He's officer he's so in. and so and sinister. Which again, there's a movie where he and Ethan Hawke have like really interesting chemistry that you don't get here yes. at all. Mm, yeah. it, it, it almost feels like they never met. I in don't. This movie. It's the thing is, I don't buy Ransone as a badass, and this movie's not trying to say he is. This movie's trying to be like he's a poser of a badass. Which yeah, but he feels like the right choice for that kind of performance but there's just it doesn't work here yeah and i think it would work better if like we said so i'm just gonna speed run through the the plot yes just so we can get into this point he rides into town he gets into it with james ranson who's the son of the marshal um travolta then kind of basically tells him to get the hell out of dodge uh rather than escalate Mm. ranson and his boys come out, find Ethan Hawke kill his dog. in the middle of the night, kill Ethan Hawke's dog, think they kill Ethan Hawke because they want revenge for the fact that Ethan Hawke showed up James Ransom. 
and then Hawk comes back looking for revenge. And that's where this movie seems like it's about to get interesting because Wes starts shooting the revenge sequences kind of like he's making a slash. Yeah. Movie. Where you don't and see if, Hawk. If he really leans into that idea and he doesn't, then James Ranson being this like ineffectual loser and John Travolta being an ineffectual loser mm. is very interesting. But the fact that he starts doing that and then kind of just drifts back into basic, you know, gunfight iconography yeah. means that I'm just like, I have a hero I don't really care about. A villain. Against bad guys I don't give a shit about. And the one character I do care about is basically just walking around being like, why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. Yeah. yeah. I assume that's Taisa. Um, uh, Travolta. Travolta. Oh, Travolta. Like, yeah. Travolta the whole, yeah. yeah. And when the one character you're compelled by is spending the whole movie being like, this shouldn't be happening. This plot should not be. <laughs> it's, it's hard to I care. I mean, there's some juice there if you lean into this idea of it being a horror movie. Yes. But he's not willing to make that full flip because, again, I think Jason Bloom wanted uh, a Western. A Western. I wonder if, because I know Bloom started this project, but knowing that West wrote it, I wonder if there was a version of this script that was more Ty Westy. Yes. Because, again, if, if you tell me Ty West makes a spaghetti Western and I think of what I know of Ty West, I really think the bit where they kill his dog happens 70 minutes into the movie. Mm -hmm. And then the last 20 minutes is just bloodshed. Like that feels like what I'd expect out of a Ty West. Yeah. That could be interesting. This is splitting the difference in a way I find very unsatisfying. Cause like happens 45 minutes in and then there's another 20 to 30 minutes of Hawk being like, I got to get back in that town. I got to get my revenge. And like all the business with Taisa Farmiga, I think it says a lot that we've hardly talked about Taisa Farmiga in this movie. Yeah, good actress, fine performance, there's boring just, character. Yeah, there's not much to it. We haven't even uttered the words Karen Gillan yet. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to take us on a sidebar. Yes. <laughs> all right, cue the Karen Gillan sidebar. Music. Cue the Karen Gillan hype theme. <laughs> By God, that's Karen Gillan's music. <laughs> Is Karen Gillan the worst actor working today? <laughs> no. Jesus. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Is there a second in this movie where she delivers a line that doesn't sound like she's an animatronic on like <laughs> a D-list Disneyland ride? Oh, I think she's awful in this movie for sure. She's atrocious in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like she is in every fucking movie she's in that's not somehow a Marvel movie. Hey, you know what's funny? I, I'm probably the only person in the circle who's seen this movie. Did anyone watch The Call of the Wild? No. The, the Harrison Ford CGI dog movie from like two years ago? The Call of the Wild. I want to say a really strong Ford performance, one of his better late stage performances. But Karen Gillan is playing the exact same role in that movie. She's only in it for one scene, but she's once again like the lo- the big dress, like uh, girlfriend to the shitty villain of the movie, like constantly like heeing and hawing. And it's very strange that she just stuck with this archetype and did it again. <laughs> like I just want to run through this because like I do think she's 
good, quite good, actually, as Nebula. Has anyone seen her in Doctor Who? Yeah, she wasn't very good. I disagree. Amy Pond was a boring companion. I'm sorry. I I don't agree with that. But well, have... one thing I will say is like, uh, it's a very unfortunate uh, part about it. But the most interesting part about Amy Pond in Doctor Who is her boyfriend, which is which is the sad part about it. And I, I don't mean that as an insult on Amy Pond's character so much I, as much as it is like just. Or maybe I do mean as an insult against Amy Pond, but I don't mean as an insult against Karen Gillan because mm-hmm. I think she did a, a great job at bringing that character out. But it's unfortunate that the most interesting part of that is her boyfriend who becomes like the Roman soldier who lives for a thousand years and then yeah. dies as like a mm-hmm. angel stone thing. But no, I agree. She's rather good in the Guardians movies. She's very good in the Guardians movies, but then you've got like everything else she does. She's atrocious in Jumanji. A movie that's like already bad, but mm-hmm. she's bringing. But the, you she mean the just, biggest movie in American history, Jumanji yes, Two. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, jungle. America's most beloved movie, Jumanji Two. Uh, she's complete dead weight in Jumanji. Uh, I have no memory of her being in Stuber. I'm just looking at her filmography. Apparently, she's in Stuber. Wait, am I uh, am I correct in that I have only seen Jumanji Two? I have not seen Jumanji Three. I don't um, know. Are you? Am I correct in that she? in Jumanji 3 is the one out of the four who does not have a different personality. I believe that is the case. Because the the thing is that in the, like, Jumanji... I can't believe I'm about to litigate. In Jumanji 2, like, um, the main character becomes, like... Oh, my God. Alex Wolf becomes The Rock. And... Um, oh, my God. What are the actors' names? They all become the characters, and the girl becomes Jack Black, and then the other girl becomes Karen Gillan. I think that same girl just becomes Karen Gillan again. Yeah. I think Which it's just is telling because if the joke of Jumanji 2 is that all the, the four leads have to be given different performances now, Karen Gillan does not have that in her because all she can do is deliver things in a flat monotone. Mm-hmm. She has never been interesting on screen. Did you see the bubble? <laughs> I have not seen the bubble yet. I'm this not is sure a, I one will. of the most embarrassingly performers I've ever seen in my life. Gunpowder milkshake, same way. Duel, same way. She is the most least charismatic performer, I think, working today. Mm. She's so boring. She cannot convincingly deliver a single sentence in this movie. And literally all she's asked to do is scream and yell James Ranson's character's yeah. name. Yeah, um, Gilly! She's Gilly. Like, oh, and yeah. I never once buy it and she's so grating every time she comes on screen mm-hmm. i would love for you guys to name a worse working actor but tell us how you really feel <laughs> can I'm we think sorry, of- i just can- fucking i just watched duel and then i watched this so you guys got the, like the triple pounder of karen gill yeah duel a movie in which she's supposed to be delivering every line like she's an emotionless robot Mm -hmm. and she somehow can't pull that she gets really emotional on that one for some reason i mean it's probably why she's good as nebula because i think she's actually great she's one of the better performances in those movies that's the the... weird thing we we've talked about this yeah but we agree she's incredible i mean she maybe gives the best performance in the mcu She's up there. What? Her Zendaya? Wow. <laughs> I mean, who gives the best performance in the MCU? Because, oh. It's a good question. It's more interesting than in a it, it depends. Are we talking about 
collective or singular? I movie? think collective, which is why it's not Downey Jr. Because if we're just talking best performance individual, it's Downey Jr. and Iron Man one. It's Downey Jr. and Iron Man three. Yeah, I was gonna say it's Iron Man three. For Downey. I cannot believe I am the one person in this room who did not pick Iron Man. But I think it collectively shocking. Downey sleepwalks in too many of those movies. Mm-hmm. It's he he's uh he's sleepwalking in Civil War. Yep. Infinity War. Yep. Homecoming. He kind of yep. comes back for Endgame. <laughs> he really brings the heat in because he, he knows when he needs to. Yeah. Because he's he's all exposition in Infinity War, but Endgame's the one where he's really bringing it again. Mm-hmm. But if, as a collective, I gotta think. Who who are your choices? As a collective, yeah. Who well, gives? I guess like define what do you mean by collective? Like we're judging it as a whole. Yeah, like if yeah, whole you count all their the performances in the movie. <sighs> Is it maybe Hemsworth? I think it's Evans. It's Hemsworth or after two Thor two. Meaning like Ragnarok and then onward. Because I don't even think he's good in the first Avengers. <laughs> no, I think Hemsworth is... Hemsworth peaks in Thor 1. <laughs> nah, Ragnarok is where... Uh, Ragnarok is where like we understand like the uses of Thor's character. But in every other movie, it's like we don't really know where to put Thor in the dialogue scheme of things. Because it's like we already have... Steve Rogers, who is a man out of his time we have and the, doesn't we know We have shit. the straight man, and we have the uh, the like comedic foil. And then Thor's just like, what if the straight man was you even know straighter? I'm going to say... No, he's what if the straight man was also the comedic foil? In That's the what's first... funny. In, That's... in Thor and in Avengers and mm. in Thor 2, he's straddling that line. Taika Waititi doesn't get that. Mm-hmm. And Taika comes in and completely like ruins the vibe and makes him just the jokester. Mm-hmm. And the energy is gone. He's so much funnier in Thor and Avengers than he is in Ragnarok. I disagree entirely, but it's when they're Ragnarok's all... terrible. Here I am That's ready to say Mark Ruffalo as the best performance in the collective. Mm. I'm about to, I'm, I know I'm, we I'm... can do more. Well, maybe, but he's doing a pretty good job. Mm. I, I really like him in Endgame, even though he's CGI the entire time. <laughs> I actually think he's really good. After hearing Cole, I'm I'm Evans. Evans collectively is okay. always bringing it. Evans is good. Evans is the most committed. He's a very committed Captain America. Mm. He he takes it very seriously. Yes, which is why I'm glad he got out before he stopped taking it seriously. Yeah. Because like once, because Downey has the dip. They all have dips in the career or in the like the amount that they care. Evans like is just getting close to the point where you think he might start dipping when he gets out. I think he dips a little in Infinity War. He's barely in that movie, so you never notice. Well, true. The biggest personality change for Chris Evans in Infinity War is the beard and the longer hair, mm. and then everything else. It's very. I don't know. I, 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 Infinity War is so bad. <laughs> it's such a, it's just not a movie. Infinity War is the most Infinity sleeper. War sucks. I don't know about it sucks, but I definitely agree with it's, you guys in the sense sucks. that it, it has it's, the most sleepiest performances. It's so inexplicable that Infinity War and Endgame were filmed at the same time because one of them is really Infinity good. Infinity War looks like piss, is like eight hours long, and expects me to give a shit about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. 
And the, the the big thing for me is like it's a whole movie, and they're like Thanos is the main character, and I'm like cool, and then he gets killed off in the first <laughs> game, and I'm like okay, so why did I care about him in that whole movie? Okay, James Ransom. <laughs> okay, James, James Ransom. Ransom. Okay, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back because once I said Karen Gillan, we all really got off. We, yeah. we all... That's the end of the. I, just, I I I think she's a dreadful actress, and I think mm-hmm. she's giving a, a atrocious performance in this movie. She's not good. I also heard the movie she directed sucked, but I didn't see it. So. Uh, what was that movie? I don't even remember. What was it called? Because Unicorn Store was the Brie Larson one, right? That now that's a movie that sucks. Uh, the party's just beginning. The party's just beginning. With her and Lee Pace. Oh. Okay. I mean, already I'm angry. <laughs> just because of the <laughs> Do title. Do you not like Lee Pace? No, just the title of the movie. Oh, yeah. But to say. It, it, I wish it had been good so they could make a sequel to be the party just ended. <laughs> um, it's kind of like it's just, it's just see, like it's just the hangover. It's just like the now you see me atrocious titling that they did. Yeah, they didn't. The sequel wasn't now you don't. Still, I'm still mad. It's infuriating. I'm still mad. I'm still mad. <laughs> now you see me. I, now like, you don't. I, I'm America's biggest now you see me fan, and it breaks my heart. I would have now you see me too. Now you see me too. I would have even said no. For, it's not. What is, is now you see me the final chapter? <laughs> the second one? Yes. <laughs> the final one. I don't even think it had a two in the title. Good God. I would have even settled for it just being called Now You See Me, Now You Don't. The second one. Yeah. I would have even taken that. If you just put like the cult like apostrophe or whatever the fuck comma, now you don't. It would have still like not been ideal, but I would have settled for it. Anyway, so James Ransom. James Ransom. He's probably I think he's the best performance in that chapter two. Um of the adult versions of the kids. I mean the all every single adult performer in that movie, Bill Hader included, sucked in chapter two. And I will not apologize. They James, all sucked. James Ransom, very good. James Ransom was okay. Jessica Chastain, so, the correct awful. choice, doesn't really do much. And uh, James McAvoy, also the correct choice, seems to have wanted to self-sabotage the movie the moment he stepped foot inside his trailer at base camp. He literally he got picked hey, up by his driver. Stuart, I have some bad news. He went to base camp. He got I in his trailer and said, news. I'm going to deliver a shitty performance in It Chapter 2. I have bad news. What? Uh, me, the It Chapter 2 defender, has logged on. <laughs> <laughs> it, All right. No, let me hear it. It Chapter 2 is so funny. It is so ridiculous. Okay, okay, yes. Then, yeah, you're you're saying all these things that are negative qualities for my point of view, but are positive for yours. But it, it, chapter two. It is, can we agree? It is a terrible sequel to chapter one. No, it is the correct sequel to chapter one because it's the only Stephen King adaptation to go for the fully coked out version with that level of budget. It has uses two hundred million dollars to make pure bozo nonsense, where every scene is just a character vomiting on someone else and then yelling about their collective trauma. <laughs> All right, so James Ransone. <laughs> yes, James Ransone. Cool. We had gotten up to the point where that hawk comes back in the plot, right? That's where you left off. I don't even. I think I just ran through the whole plot pretty quickly. <laughs> but yeah, he comes back and he starts just gunning down all of James Ransone's guys and like. The first kill is pretty fun because Larry Fessenden gets his throat slit and bleeds like a stuck pig. Yeah. And for a brief second, I'm like, 
like lit up and excited because I think this movie is going to, you know, get some juice going for it. And and then I was just going to say that scene has all the characteristics of that slasher horror esque moment that you were talking about. Dude in the bathtub, blindfolded, can't see anybody. Shadowy figure emerges into the light, like had all the prefaces of a horror slasher moment right Mm -hmm. there. And it's fitting that it's Fessenden because he is like the the like mentor father Obi-Wan figure to this entire generation of micro budget digital horror guys that like, of course, the one bit where you're going full slasher, you're going to have Fessenden get killed. It's the same thing that Wingard does in the opening scene of your next where Fessenden's the guy who gets brutally killed before the title card drops. You just keep putting Fessenden in your movies getting murdered. <laughs> yeah, no, everyone does it, though, is the thing. All these guys, they all love Larry, mm-hmm. as they should. Uh, for the context for our dear listeners, uh, one of the goons is played by acclaimed filmmaker Larry Fessenden, yes. who in the 1990s made a string of very interesting micro-budget uh horror films often starring himself and is often held up as like a, a forebearer for a lot of indie 2000s American horror directors. Mm. And he produces a lot of these guys' movies, and so he tends to pop up in small roles in a Usually lot of these getting movies. Usually getting murdered. But he's also just such a fun character. He's, just, he's got a great face. Like, oh, he has such a good look. That's the other thing about this movie is you put Barry Fessenden and Toby Hess Huss in the same movie and like I want to see Larry Fessenden and Toby Husk bounce off each other but they don't I want to get see, to because this movie's so bare bones I want to see them do anything I want to see anyone in this movie who's yes. not Travolta do anything yes because this entire like Travolta almost becomes the lead of the movie for like 10 minutes yeah when it when it commits to the slasher bit and like Huck slits Fessenden's throat and then he disappears at the front we don't see him again for like a few minutes and Travolta kind of takes over, and he's like, "I said you got your boy shouldn't have gone after him, but here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna set up. You're gonna get on the roof with a gun. You're gonna go lock up the guns in the the prison, and it just kind of becomes the Travolta show of him bracing the town for this violence that's about to occur against his better like wishes. And there's a lot of like fun to that segment, and he's like, and but he has the three guys, um, Ransone." Huss and uh, I forget who the third dude is. Um, it, the other oh, no, guy it, is not a guy. Like I mean, he's the the other guy whose name I'm blanking on. Good actor gives a good performance in this movie. Is not like oh, a character actor. I his name have is, any affection. The for. character's name is Tubby. Yeah, because he's fat. And there's a whole scene where he rambles about how he doesn't want to be called Tubby anymore, which like kind kind of would have been a funny bit. Um, had the movie done, you know, the legwork. Everything in this movie, like, feels like it's the rough draft of a good movie. Yes. Which is what's frustrating about this. And I feel like we're just hitting the same point over and yeah. over again. It feels like they, they got through draft one. They're like, all right, we can shoot this. Like, Travolta's death is conceptually very interesting. Yes. Uh, which is... Hawk and Ranson are like in stock high noon. We're dueling at the opposite and main street position and Travolta's in the middle trying to talk them both down. Yeah. And then they end up draw and they both accidentally shoot him. Yes. And Travolta which, dies there. 
there is an interesting version of this death where it's like the ineffectual lawman can't even between, get between the two this. more mythic figures and in practice it's these two dudes just deciding to unload on Travolta. <laughs> yes, it's, and it, it almost becomes a weird com- comedic scene. <laughs> yeah. But you're sitting there and I'm like, both these guys are ostensibly aiming for someone else, but Travolta's just getting riddled with gunfire like he's fucking Tony Montana <laughs> at the end of Scarface for the joke and the gore effects because- of seeing him explode with squibs yeah it's exactly because like they're they load all six clips each of them or all six bullets yeah and Travolta's just somehow getting like he's flailing around and they're missing each other and just hitting which again if that's the joke then your movie has to be this like pitch black dark comedy where people throughout are dying in like funny ways yeah but that's not the movie you're making, so it just happens, and it just doesn't have any effect. And he's the most interesting character in the movie, so I'm weirdly like, "All right, now what? What is this all for?" I I want to reel us back a little bit because there's one thing I want to talk about that Please. I forgot to bring up. So when we were talking about like what is this town, because this is a non-existent town, um, and it's like just four square blocks. There's one when Hawk leaves before they kill his dog. He uh he rides that town. He's like, I'm never coming back. And like this montage occurs of him like traversing landscapes. Yes. Um, and like the sun is shown doing almost a full cycle. Uh, he's at night. He's climbing up the hill with his dog and his horse. The next morning after his dog is up, he wakes up and he looks over the cliff. And the town is like maybe a mile and a half away after this extensive montage. And also speaking of the weird geography. Um, when he returns to town, he is taken in by Taisa Farmiga, who is the innkeeper, but also has a second house. Yes, with a vaguely on the outskirts of town, <laughs> where she can take care of him for honestly just because narratively it wouldn't make any sense for him to be back for him to be in the center of town at this point. But also narratively, this movie has kind of written itself into a corner where there's too few characters for it to make sense because yeah. she has to be in the center of the town yeah. because... And the way they write around it is she's like, yeah, this is the house where I take care of my paw. And, like, there's just a dying guy on a slab. Yeah. And you're like, okay, so she takes care of her dying father here. But most of this movie, we've seen her and her sister in town together. So they just leave this guy here? <laughs> <laughs> on this slap which again like there, there is like i want to get into the thais of it all because there's an interesting thing with is it mary sue her name um marianne marianne yes they didn't marianne go quite uh quite too literal with mary sue yeah <laughs> oh god i didn't even think about that um but mary sue and ellen thais farmiga and karen gillen who do look like sisters credit to yes. this movie i buy i buy them being sisters um run the local inn that has no clients because this is a ghost town and also Karen Gillan doesn't seem to do anything but fawn over James Redson all day so there's this interesting thing undercurrent of Thaisa Farmiga's character where she's kind of abandoned by her sister 
She's got this dead, dying father on the outskirts of town. She's married, but her, her husband, husband abandoned off. her some time ago. And also she's only 16, which I get different time period. And she's kind of just then at the beck and call of all like the gross men in the town. That's an interesting idea that this child is basically forced to be, um, you know, a woman and a mother figure and a figure of desire because of how abandoned the town is. It's an interesting idea. Yes. It's not one that the movie does anything to. We've basically workshopped the good version of this movie. Yeah, it would and and if if you really dig into that, if you make her the character, if you if you really like delve into how she's just like an object, then maybe it's interesting when she spoiler alert grabs a gun and kills James Ranson at the end of the movie. But Again, you're just like, well, what's this character? Why do I care that she's married? Mm. Is it supposed to be a juxtaposition of Ethan Hawke saying in one line that he abandoned his wife and kids back in the day? Like, are they both wayward souls? I don't I think we're putting more thought into this than Ty West did. I'm yeah. sorry. I love Ty West. You know what's ain't it? You know what the most interesting choice made in this movie is? It's the 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 one flashback that Hawk has to his flashback rules it's where he's flashing back to his like time in the, the cavalry taking out the um like where they were killing like native american uh tribes and it's all done with like it's like a fl- it's a literal flashback where like it was just i mean it's I'll, I'll tell you what it is it's edited like the um the d- satanic ritual at the end of house of the devil because <laughs> it's it <laughs> It breaks like the world in that it's a very obvious flashlight on Ethan Hawk with like it's a camcorder and it's like Hawk and Civil or like Union Blues kind of going through a thing. You just like flashing on and off with him. Clearly a flashlight camcorder. And in the background, it it, it, it has the editing rhythms of House of the Devil and it looks like a found footage film. Yes. And all of a sudden this movie has juice. And if this is supposed to be. The nexus point where you switch from Western into horror, mm-hmm. that's a nice transition. It's a nice transition, and it's a nice establishment of Hawk's character. Like, oh, you're establishing, okay, he's dealing with the guilt of having killed, um, driven people from their homes for, like, the greater good of a country that doesn't care about him, which seems to be, like, the, the impetus for his character running away to Mexico. Yeah, there's this running theory that, like, he may have committed war crimes against Native American people, but it's also kind of unclear if he did or if he just witnessed them. Like, (laughs) They never really dive into it. Yeah. We love a casual war crime. It's it's just like a, a first draft. This is a very first draft movie shot for, like, $10. (laughs) Because the the ending is just Burn Gorman shows up to town. Um, finally. What do you even want from me? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, movie. What do you want from me if Burn Gorman's coming back? <laughs> Gorm- you you know your movie's running low when Burn Gorman comes back to town. <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises makes the smart move to get Burn Gorman out of there the second Bane takes over. <laughs> Death or exile. Um. Mm-hmm. This movie chose death. Uh, <laughs> Burn Gorman comes back and he's like, Chucks, 
the town's sinners. And Hawk's like, yeah, try preaching to them. And then he goes into the, the tavern with uh, Thaisa while Karen Gillan screams in the background about Ransone being dead. And the movie ends. And that's that's and that's, that's in a valley movie. of violence. That's in a valley of violence. Not even that violent. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. The valley is like a little violent at best. It's not that bad. <laughs> the valley, the valley is like could probably get a PG thirteen yeah. if they wanted it to. This could have gotten a PG thirteen, and like if you're gonna build up the whole like bit of this movie that it's about a valley of violence. You can't just have a gunfight occur at the very yeah. end. Again, like, this is Ty West. This should have gone... I, I know this guy can give me, like, a fucking cavalcade of gore. Like this If he wants to. This place should have felt like Tortuga. <laughs> like, there's yeah. just been pure chaos occurring in this town. If you want to, you know, do anything with it. But I think that's that's the plot of this movie. Yeah. I think we basically, we summed it up. I don't. I think I don't. I don't know how much more there is to say about it. It's a weirdly long movie too. It's ninety nine minutes, which is the, too long for a movie this minimalist. And like, I I still kind of enjoy this movie, just pure like pulp. And the more I talk about, it, the less I like it. Yeah. Um. I definitely. I walked into the recording hoping because I saw your letterbox jam. Yeah. I, I was hoping you guys would uh, talk me into liking this more. And. I, you um, you talked me out of like yeah this more. I'm sorry no because like well, coming out of it yesterday I was like I kind of like that it's just like pure like like it's not a good movie but the whole thing is just it's Pulp Fiction it's like a, a dime store novel a hundred pages guy comes into town kills a bunch of jamokes and gets out and that's where the level where I enjoyed it at you know and maybe it was that I watched right after watching I Am Wrath yesterday which is just abysmal <laughs> I mean, it's abysmal, but it's it's my kind of movie, um, as we will talk about in the I Am Wrath episode that we definitely haven't recorded already. Um, but, yeah, I guess. Well, speaking of I Am Wrath, I promise I'll be on a good movie next time. You will be yeah. on the best movie next time. I, I guess for like final thoughts for me is um, the biggest takeaway, I think, was getting that context information, knowing Ty West and, you know, Bloom House and sort of how this movie could have easily have taken a different turn of being like a quasi Western horror mix. And I see a version of that in this, which uh, we've talked about and I see glimpses into that, but I think ultimately I agree with what you guys are saying, how it does feel like the first draft that just got approved right away and then shipped into production shot for, I don't know, 20 days at best. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this was shot in 25 days. Oh, so I wasn't yeah. that far off. I mean, I think the the other problem with this being a that like idealized horror western is that um this probably shoots right around the time Bone Tomahawk yes. is coming out. And like Bone Tomahawk is really what kind of structurally what you'd want out of a Thai West Western. Bone Tomahawk is, is almost the good version of this movie. Yeah, I mean, they're very different, but in terms of this, like, do you sit in a character piece, watch the dynamics of the town, then erupt into gore? That's Bone Tomahawk. Obviously, mm. Bone Tomahawk is far more stylized and strange yes. than this is ever aspiring to be. 
and racist. Yeah, Bo- Bone Tomahawk. I love Bone Tomahawk, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, Zoller, a uh, little, little problematic of a guy. Yeah, we'll get into that when we do the Zoller cast. <laughs> no, I will never. I will never. I will absolutely never. Um, and le- like, I will do the Gibson cast. <laughs> do you want to do a Gibson cast? <laughs> <laughs> the Apocalypto episode going to be insane. Fact, That's how we fully cancel ourselves. Yeah, gets fully canceled doing the Gibson cast. No, we're going to be fully canceled in two weeks. Uh, What's in two weeks? We're going to dump a six-hour episode on our feed. and Oh, of course! <laughs> and that's what everyone's yeah, I'm never fucking watching that movie, guys, by the way. I'm sorry. I made it. I We'll talk off mic really quickly, but I, I, I made a specific deal with Cole. Listeners, I want to be very clear. I am never fucking watching Gotti. <laughs> I unfortunately do not have a choice, Cole. You folks, Stuart's going to watch Gotti like three times. It's going to be... I'm going to watch it once. And I will pay... I already have two screenings lined up. I will pay half attention. <laughs> no, you will pay full attention because we got a lot of context to discuss. Okay. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about Gotti in two weeks when we, yeah, we, when we talk about Gotti. Yeah. Cole... As always, thanks so much. Hey, I thank you guys. It was a blast. I'm sorry, couldn't go three hours this time. Yeah, no, it'll come. It'll come during the next one. I'm sure. (laughs) Well, Uh, shockingly, this movie does not inspire (laughs) deep deep discussion (laughs) of deep discussion. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I do want to quickly say. um, So this is predominantly a. um, it, It is okay. So it's predominantly a video on demand release. Um, as a lot of movies at you know in Travolta's career at this time are, it does have a small box office run, makes sixty one thousand. Um, yikes! But you know it's it's a fly on the wall for uh Bloomhouse. Let's be honest. Um, and it comes you know it comes out doesn't doesn't do much. <laughs> Stewart has hastily run for a ten one break. It's sprinted, and he has the ability to cut off this recording. I do not. I mean, yeah, Stuart's gone. What do we want to talk about? All right, so there's something we do have to litigate. Mel Gibson what, being a good no, actor. No, what did you have for lunch today? I had a Philly cheesesteak. No, you did not. Yes, I did. You did not. That's what it said on the menu. Okay, so what it says on the menu is, is a very bold. I could write, you know, hot dog on a menu and give you a hamburger. Uh, That'd be weird. It would be strange. Just as, it wouldn't be a hot Just dog. as it would be strange to write Philly cheesesteak on menu. What's, what's, what's in a Philly cheesesteak? A Philly cheesesteak is finely chopped steak Yep. in a hoagie roll. I had it on a roll, but not a hoagie, but that was my own choice. But uh, I could have gotten it on a hoagie no, if I wanted to. It's no longer a Philly cheesesteak once you take the hoagie roll out. Mm, set it on the menu. Once you take the once you take the hoagie out, it's the so hoagie So if I'd gotten it on a hoagie, we agree it would have been a Philly well, cheesesteak. What else are you having on it? Uh, onions. All right, it's still Philly cheesesteak. It's still Philly cheesesteak. American cheese. Yeah, still Philly cheesesteak. Tomato. All right, we're getting a little questionable. Lettuce. Nah, now it's no. It's, it's no longer a Philly cheesesteak. Mayonnaise. It's no longer a cheesesteak. Yeah, it's a Philly cheesesteak. Philly cheese. Okay. There's cheese. Dear, and dear listeners. Dear listeners, if you are for some reason still tuning in at this point for this discussion, Cole and I have been in a multi-month feud about this because uh, I am from Philadelphia and I have very strong. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, oof. Rocky's coming to your house right now. So well, you didn't see my tweet earlier today, so we're fine. I did see your tweet earlier today, and we're 
we're going to talk about that uh, another day when we get to the zone. Um, <laughs> because that is some egregious <laughs> shit right there. You did that just to rile me up. Okay. So I'm from Philadelphia and I have very strong opinions about Philly cheesesteaks. Um, and that, a dumb you know, thing to have strong feelings about. It's 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 the only thing I can be proud of from my hometown. That's a sad that, thing to be proud of. That the Liberty Bell um and the Phillies winning the World Series once and then the time we threw snowballs and beer cans at Santa Claus. Meat and cheese on bread is not some like regional thing that people get to claim. I agree in a larger concept but the specific version of it is the thing that we get to claim it's barely a thing it's like a chicago dog is a specific thing oh yeah that's real okay no the no (laughs) we're not picking and choosing here if a chicago dog can be a thing when a hot dog is a larger like existence there can be a specific subsection of steak sandwiches in which philly cheesesteak is its own thing Eh. What you had was a steak sandwich. Yeah, but I can make okay, but I could have had a Philly cheesesteak if I was here then. Yes, you could have a Philly cheesesteak. You can have a Philly cheesesteak in other places, but it has to be made in a specific way. All right. I'll allow it. What you had was a steak sandwich. It was good. It's better than a Philly cheesesteak. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Stuart's gotta come back so we can cut this shit off. Because listeners, listeners, this is basically my argument. If you walked into a subway. You know, the famous sandwich chain, beloved by pedophiles everywhere. Yes. You walked into a subway and you wanted a Philly Uh, cheesesteak, a shop He has no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) And an Italian beef. You could theoretically engineer all three of those sandwiches. All right, all right. Uh, But the sandwich artist would just charge you for three of the same sandwich. Because regardless of small differences... Those are all the same sandwich. All right. Well, thank you for our listeners for listening. No, you can find are... us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, yeah, and YouTube. Catch us on our Reddit, r slash Travolting. Philly cheesesteak. Follow us it's on like, Instagram, specifically uh, Pod. Steak uh, you can follow Jeff roll. on Normally with Twitter, at Jeff W. Sweeney. You would order like, Instagram, Stuart over 95. Onions are peppers. Special thanks to Michael Van Bodegev, our music composer. Onions and peppers are optional, then we can agree that tomatoes are optional. No, we cannot, because there's a very fine line. There's not. They're all the same. We're trying to wrap this up. It's like have a great rest of your week, you folks. Put, uh, join us uh, next week for um. So you can join us next week for more discussion about Philly cheesesteaks. Okay. Uh, so um, have a great Stuart, uh, what week, next everybody. Week? Just say it. Um, I, I don't know what episode. we just recorded it. Um, uh, oh, uh, uh, I am wrath. Yes. Uh, join <laughs> us next week for I. That's going to be me. Is I'm going to be full of wrath, wrath when we talk about this. So thank you and thank you to Cole. Special thanks to Cole. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great week.